As you finish your funding pitch to a group of investors, you feel the sweat pooling in your palms. Your heart beats so loud you think the entire room can feel it. The silence of whispers is torturing your emotions. Will one of the sharks make a deal with you? It's funny the scenarios our mind paints when we think about telling our business ideas to a possible investor. On this episode, we're sitting down with a venture capitalist who's going to tell you how to secure funding for your business idea. No lights, no cameras, no sharks. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. It's such an honor to spend this time with you each and every week, and we work hard to help organizations make better business decisions, and we need your help. As leaders, what are some questions you're wrestling with? We're happy to help because that's why this podcast exists, to help you. So shoot us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. So if you're an entrepreneur, a young company, or thinking about starting a company, this episode is for you. Uh, we're sitting down with the managing director of Allos Ventures, David Kerr. David's worked in the startup scene for over 30 years, including starting the company Octave, which sold back in April of this year. Now he's on the other side of the fundraising table, working as a venture capitalist who's eager to help other entrepreneurs make their dreams a reality. Allos Ventures started in 2009. It's a venture capital firm specializing in startups, seeds, and early stage investments. Basically companies that have already started to earn revenue, but they haven't entered takeoff yet. Specifically, Allos seeks to invest in business-to-business software and technology-able business services. And its main focus is here in the Midwest, right here in the heartland. And it's interesting, too, because the Midwest kind of has its own culture when it comes to the startup scene. I mean, you have the coast, you have New York City, you think of those running, gunning, have great ideas, get those billion-dollar deals. And you have Silicon Valley way on the West Coast. But here in the Midwest, there's a little bit more of a conservatism, as David put it. Um, and if you want to go back to another episode we did, is episode 62, when we sat down with Real Inc. Um, those guys told us kind of their approach from the Midwest spirit as entrepreneurs trying to get into that startup scene here in the Midwest. And I highly recommend going back to that um, and, and hearing that. But here's what David says about the Midwest. I will say in the Midwest, um, there's still more of a conservatism. So if you think about it, there's only been probably across the whole Midwest, maybe 10 exits that have been north of a billion dollars versus you look at the coasts, and that's where you have 75% of all the venture money is in California, New York, or in, or in Boston. They talk about capital efficiency here in the Midwest because things are less expensive, cost of living, engineers, things like that are less expensive here, which is great. But there's also this view from the coast that there's not the same type of ambition here to build companies that are $100 million, $200 million types of companies. So you have to you have to have a slightly different kind of approach and mentality when you're raising money out there. So Phil, you know, David just said that companies here in the Midwest, they're exiting at about $100 million, $200 million, which is a stark contrast to, like we said, the coast. They're exiting north of a billion dollars at times in the investment scene. So what have you seen, you know, here as dean, as a dean of a Midwest, major Midwest business school, what's the culture of the Midwest like? Well, I think the Midwest uh, brings some reality 
and maybe a longer-term perspective on investment. Um, to win money in the Midwest, your business model has to prove itself a little bit more. But at the end of the day, that means that the investments that are made are less risky and your portfolio can actually be a little bit more stable. So I think that if you're a business, you've got a, a, a long-term play, it's a solid value proposition, you're going to find yourself in good company here. And also, the great thing about the Midwest is that the input costs are lower. Uh, cost of living, uh, wages, uh, just across the board, it's cheaper to run a business, which can actually lift your profit margins. So it's a trade-off. But, but David also said, and I, w- I would like to get your input on it, do you feel that the ambition level, because of the cost associated with doing business, is also lower? There is a higher level of risk aversion in the Midwest. That's both good and bad. That means that when somebody makes an investment, it probably has a higher probability of success. And in the Midwest, there's no embracement of hype. And that leads to a lot of conformity, people would say, in business. But it also leads to sort of a healthy view of the long term. And you find investors don't put themselves on the edge like they might in other markets. And that's a play that wins in the long term. And that's good to recognize because we're going to get into more uh, the breakdown of what investors need to do. Actually, we got six tips uh, for investors that we're going to start to tackle. And David's going to help us unpack some of these tips in order to secure funding for your business idea. So the question becomes, how do we secure the funding? And like with everything here on this podcast, because we exist to help leaders because we know the organization is only as good as the leaders running that organization, obviously, it's going to start with us as leaders. So the first thing we have to do as leaders is we need to make sure we embody the right characteristics. And the coolest part about this, these characteristics are all teachable. So it depends on their experience level. Um So for somebody that has more limited experience but has a great idea and a great business plan, coachability. The the willingness to to listen to a whole variety of mentors and advisors and bring people onto their team that are more experienced or smarter than they are. And there's there's lots of examples around town of this, of people that are willing to be coachable and have, have built great teams around them. If it's a more experienced person, I still personally, I would look for humility, but there's this balance of you want somebody that's uh, got courage, they've got ambition, they've got um, that whatever you want to call it, that it factor that's going to have some cockiness to it that, hey, I can grow a $100 million business. That is not just your everyday person that can do that. But, But I still think you need to have some humility in there so that they can listen to a board, they can listen to their their management team. So let's let's sit here for a minute. Let's unpack some of these traits that David gave us. The first thing is coachability. Another word for coachability is are you teachable? So Matt, in my experience, whether my own personal experience or watching other leaders work, especially in smaller uh, teams and smaller startups, if they have somebody who's bullheaded, um, it increases the cost of getting something done in terms of time and energy. A CEO only has limited glucose in their brain. And if, if they encounter someone where, who's bullheaded, so much so that they consume the time and the energy of the CEO, you'll find, that, you'll find the leader sort of withdraws, focuses on other things, and it just creates this negative spiral where that team member will find themselves on the outside of the organization which over time increases their probability they're going to leave. 
And with an entrepreneur, you know, you were you're dealing with a board of directors because once you get investors, all of a sudden it's not just your idea anymore. It is a collective idea with people who said, hey, here's our hard-earned money. We're giving it to you. However, we're not just giving it to you and being hands-off. We're going to be telling you, or not telling you, but we're going to be guiding you and saying, hey, here's what we feel. Here's from our experience because ultimately we're trying to build a profit. And so with that too, I mean, if you're if you're a leader who's who's stubborn, you're going to hit a lot of roadblocks and potentially lose your funding as well. Exactly. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a team member who reports to you that's bullheaded. It's another to be the bullheaded CEO. The most important executive skill is listening. And in order to listen and to take it in, you have to leave your ego at the door. And so investors are going to give you a lot of advice. And you owe it to them to listen. Now, at the end of the day, you may not implement it, but if you listen well, you can at least sit across from the table from that investor and explain in rational, non-emotional terms perhaps why you didn't follow their advice. And if you come back with really good explanation, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt because they've invested in your company. But if you're bullheaded and you're egotistical, you're not going to listen, um, you're going to hit a ceiling. And that was your choice. The next one I want to get into Humility. This is another big thing that David brings to the table is, and and this is not a weakness because a lot of times I think people hear humble and they associate that with being weakness, especially a lot of go-getter aid type personality leaders. And this is not the case. Humility by its definition is just simply putting others first. Ego with confidence is arrogance. Ego without confidence is insecurity. As some, as our followers do, do not respond to arrogance and they do not respond to insecurity. Confidence without ego is inspiration, and that's what people respond to. These two are almost almost inseparable because you have to be coachable, and that requires humility in order to say, I don't know, so I need to be teachable, and it's just a two-way street. And those are super two biggest keys, I think, in order to get that investor on board with with who you are. And I think the last one is passion. You know, as a founder of a startup, you, you have to have certain qualifications. But after you meet those qualifications, you're going to find that investors will be more, much more attracted to your passion than they will, they will more advanced knowledge. And this is why good managers always say they, they hire for passion over skill any day. Because you can always, uh, with passion, you can learn. And that means you have coachability. That means you have everything else that we've talked about. So at the end of the day, passion is the necessary condition for success. The second tip in order to secure funding for your business idea is we have to understand the investment game. It is a game. There are two trains of thought I want to go in here. The first one is we got to remember there are a lot of ideas out there and there are a lot of investors out there. And both are turning over, as David says, hundreds of stones to find the right matches for each other. Because the way this goes typically is that you will you'll go turn over 100 stones and then you'll find the three or four investors that... Um, are interested and one of them will take a lead and then you'll kind of negotiate back and forth to figure out who's going to take the lead and then you'll syndicate it so now you'll have three or four around the table so you go through that whole process now you've got your term sheet you've got your lead you know what your valuation is going to be now you're going to go through all the paperwork and you're going to figure out you know are you going to add board seats or who's going to be on the board and all that once you can kind of hand things off to to legal then you can begin to go, okay, what we've been pitching is this whole strategy. 
of execution. And we've taken six months to do that pitch and secure our funding, or 12 months. Now, turn your, turn your head back towards execution and get focused on that. When you meet an investor, an investor at the end of the day wants a very handsome return. And through their experience, they're going to look for signals that they know leads to higher returns. And usually that means that the investor has a very specific interest in terms of the kind of businesses she or he wants to invest in. And so you've got to be prepared for that. You want to talk to those to those possible investors that know your line of business and know your industry because you're going to have the highest probability. Because good investors know that if they invest in a business they can't understand or they invest in an industry that they cannot rapidly become familiar with, they're going to pass on it because it's not worth their time. In fact, for many investors, their time is more valuable than the money they're going to invest. And I think that's something to remember when, you, when you're offering a pitch and deciding to whom you're going to pitch. So we need to do our homework, make sure that we are partnering our ideas with the right investor interest. So here in Indianapolis, and then also around the Midwest, we've had a lot more success with business-to-business applications and fewer successes with business-to-consumer applications. So if you think about it, things like Groupon in the Midwest or Angie's List in the Midwest, those are pretty unique in terms of B2C. Those typically take a lot of capital, a lot of cash. If you went and looked at how much was invested in Groupon or how much was invested in Angie's List, it's a much higher figure than, for instance, like Exact Target. I think it's easier to have faster growth if you start with small and mid-market businesses right. and then you migrate to enterprise. And so that's that's typically what you'd be looking for in some of these B2B. It's not to say that we don't want to see B2C succeed here in the Midwest, but it just it, it typically takes a lot more it's more capital intensive at the outset to get that really um, high growth curve. So the third tip we need to embrace or, or leverage in order to secure the funding is we need to get involved and build a network of people. And this is on both sides of the street. We have a network of people who are like-minded, who are running businesses or trying to do the startup because they're going to give us wisdom on how to because we're going to get stuck. You know, we don't know it all. The reason we're getting an entrepreneurship is because it's unknown, it's exciting, it's fast-paced, and we're going to hit some roadblocks. And on the second side, we need to start building a network that's going to lead us to the right investor. Because as David says, a lot of times, yes, it's good to cold call, but more times than not, you're going to have a higher success when you already have a foot in the door in a relationship with an investor. You know, part of building a network, Matt, is looking for as many people who will tell you you're going to fail. This sounds counterintuitive, but you're in a search for people that are going to tell you that your business model is not going to work because that will give you insight on how to improve it. It comes back to fail fast, fail often, fail forward. You constantly want to be getting feedback and you constantly want to be testing your business model. You're not going to be able to do that if you don't listen and you don't leave your ego at the door. So having had sales teams where people have prospected cold calls and emails and all these kinds of things, I would never tell somebody not to just kind of prospect cold and send in an email or make a call and so forth. However, it's always much better to have an introduction where it's somebody that has known somebody and has said, hey, I can vouch for this individual. They're, they're hardworking. They've got a great idea. You should take, you know, have coffee with them for 30 minutes and listen. So I would suggest to everybody to personally invest in their own network and to go out and meet with people. You just never know who's connected to who and share with people that are 
close to you, friendly with you. You may not think they're going to be the right person, but they might know somebody. So I would invest in your own network first and foremost. So the fourth tip is you need to build your team before the funding comes. The best thing you can do is be queued up with people that you've already gotten the queue for hiring and to pull the trigger within weeks. So, okay, you're going to add three new inside salespeople. Great. Have a queue of salespeople all ready to go as opposed to being at a standing start and now a quarter passes before you can go get those folks going. So that's that to me is as you know you've got a term sheet and as you you know term sheets and then getting through the legal process is typically 45 to 60 days. So you know unless something goes terribly wrong you're going to get that money. So you've now got you can shift your focus as an operator and as an executor to begin to go hire and execute on that that use of funds. So the fifth tip that we need to do in order to secure funding is we have to get our first customers. From my perspective, yeah, the business plan is a thing of the past. It is the business plan now is a 20 slide slide deck and a five minute pitch, but ultimately it needs to be based around a first customer or a second customer or three customers and getting some traction and getting some feedback because ultimately somebody's going to want to know that's that's great. That's a that's a wonderful slide deck. That's a really cool UI user interface or user experience in whatever your solution is. But are customers using it? Are they adopting it? And that's the, that's the next step. So lots of people have got friends that will be their first customer, but then it comes down to adoption. Are people using it multiple times? And then are they saying, hey, if you just add this feature, or that feature. So to me, it's a pretty big change, and, and even, you know, I'm talking a lot about software today, but, but I feel like even in the world with 3D printers and things like that, that even in a world where you're, you're doing something that's more of a physical product and so forth, there's ways to iterate much, much more quickly. And I think one step further than just getting the customer, I think it's one step deeper of actually listening to the customer, listening to their feedback and implementing that feedback because ultimately they're the ones that are going to be buying the product. So we have to build a service to answer their needs, not our ideas. When you are generating your first lines of revenue, that moves you into a whole new state of consideration for investment. You've shown that, hey, we do have some market traction here, at, a, at least in terms of stage one movement. Um, so that's good, but that's not enough to get the investment. A smart investor is going to be, okay, you've got your first customer. How are you responding? How are you servicing them? Are they coming back for more? If they're coming back for more or they're expanding the account, that is so much, much more important than just saying you have a customer. That that's just I mean, you just you go from you go from great to extraordinary if you're doing that. And you all of a sudden you the blip on the radar screen for investment just expands and you become a magnet. That's when you can really start to hit breakout. But again, you've got to understand that your interaction with your customer is dynamic. And you, you have to use that executive skill of listening and teaching your team to do so. So the sixth and final tip that we have in order to secure funding is it's time to make the pitch. Typically, it's going to happen over a coffee or it's going to happen over a office table or something along those lines. Uh, my preference is to see the pitch beforehand and to see the 20 slides beforehand so that you can have some idea of what they're gonna talk about. And then I wanna to get to know the person and what got them there. So what, what was their story behind it? And then 
hear a little bit of their pitch, but then really want to dig into questions. And it depends on the stage of the company. So if you're really early stage, it's, okay, how are you going about building your product? What does that team look like? Why do you think customers are going to react to this? If you've got a handful of customers, then to me, a lot of it's around adoption. What are they willing to pay? Because some of your first customers are always free. Um, are you going to be able to monetize this? And then if they're a little longer, so that now that they're a million dollars a year in revenue or bookings, then it's around retention and it's around expansion growth. And so what can you do to retain these customers? So to me, it's, it's much more conversational than it is kind of Shark Tank, uh, hey, come in, have a flawless pitch, have this high energy, and, you know, I'm out. You know, uh, Matt, they talk about pitch, and there's a lot of hype around it. You do have to be succinct, and you do have to sell your business model well. But it's really a conversation, right? Um, You know, having your elevator pitch teed up is good because that, that draws people in. But once people are drawn in, then you can start to listen to them. Then they're convinced, hey, this person is worth spending my time with and exploring uh, what the opportunities are. Because if I can help this founder explore those opportunities, I might find a great investment for myself. So if you look at the pitch as just a conversation with different types of investors, again, being succinct and efficient in your words and talking about object, objective results instead of sort of subjective interpretation of your business model, which is always going to be more positive than everybody else's. Um, then it becomes less onerous. It becomes less intimidating. Um, and you start to learn. And you start to do that iterative sort of testing of your model that's at the heart of success, which, again, is based upon good listening skills. And I think, too, uh, for a lot of people, and this may be, bring a lot of clarity, but I think permission to speak from the heart at times. There's a balance of speaking from the head. You know, you have to have your numbers in order. You have to have your what you're doing and what you're selling. But at the end of the day, we have to remember why we're doing this in the first place. We're trying to solve a problem. We came up with this idea. This business is supposed to help someone. And I think making that connection, that heart connection, heart to heart, speaks volumes you know, more because that stems back to the passion, the coachability, and the humility of, look, I'm doing this for someone else. I need your help because I need the investment to do this. And I have a deep passion to make this idea a reality. And I think just permission to speak from that place of, of why, like why are you doing this in the first place? And be be ready for questions because this is a time where the investor is going to be looking at you as a person. He's going to want to know about more about you. The idea is great, but who are you as a person? Who are you as a leader? And I think just having that intentional conversation, like like David said, a lot of times over coffee or just in more of a casual setting because, like you said, we need to bring that conversation. It's like anything else. Your investor, she's going to be spending time with you. She's going to be giving you advice. She's got to be worth, she has to judge that you're worth the investment of her time. She has to like you, right? And so, Proving your authenticity is is not bad. Showing a little vulnerability um, shows your authenticity. It shows your openness to feedback. And uh, a good investor is not going to invest in a in a leader who's not authentic because they're never going to trust them. Authenticity wins trust, and trust wins the ultimate investment of both time and money. <laughs> So let's recap. Shark Tank mythically portrays actual investment pitches. As entrepreneurs, there should be comfort in knowing that thousands of investors exist to help organizations grow. 
But the question becomes, how do I secure the funding? David Kurt, Managing Director at Alice Ventures, shares his tips from the perspective of a venture capitalist. First and foremost, it all starts with us as leaders. We need to embody the right characteristics. Are we coachable? Do we walk with humility? Are we driven from passion? These traits lay the foundation of not just our pitch, but the course of our new enterprise. Next, we need to understand the investment game. Investors sift through hundreds of business ideas to find the right fit for their money. Be patient and do not stop seeking investors. It's also important to understand that each investor has unique interests. One may favor technology, one may favor retail, another may favor medical. Do your homework to find the right match. Third, leverage your network around you. Who do you know that could introduce you to a possible funding partners? Where are other entrepreneurs you could learn from? Build relationships because you never know what connections you'll make. Fourth, have your team ready. Anticipate with confidence you will get the funds and find candidates ready because when you do secure that money, you can quickly pull the trigger and hire your team, which in turn mitigates wasted time building your new company. Fifth, customers are key. You can have the flashiest presentation, the coolest product, or unbelievable profitable projections. But if you do not have the customers trying your product out, you'll have a hard time getting major investments. Customers help your early iterations become marketable. Listen to them. They will give you all the answers your product needs to be successful. Finally, it's time to make your pitch. Keep it casual, be yourself, and most importantly, have a conversation from your heart. You know why you wanted to start this company, so share that with your future investor. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to our show. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where we work hard to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. Thank you.